Welcome to Wannabe Greener with me, Harriet Robinson. You may have noticed we're on a bit of a break. The full episodes will be back soon. We're going to be back with series two. But I thought now was a great time to look back and compile all of the incredible stuff that we learned in the first series. And I guess the whole point of this podcast is to normalise sustainable lifestyles. So to make them more accessible and feel more achievable. It's not about living off grid and never using plastic. Well, maybe it is for some people. But for people like you and me, it's just about changing our daily habits to live with less of an impact on the world around us. And that means, you know, greater respect for each other and and the environment that we live in, living less selfishly and, I guess, more slowly, but in a way that fits within our own individual busy lives. So to help us do this, I ask each of my guests for their tips and advice on making those changes in the field we're discussing. And I've combined some of the tips from each guest here, covering everything from easy ways to ditch fast fashion to how to reduce eco-anxiety and to how we can be better allies and help to make the eco-movement more diverse. First though, seeing as we've just had Plastic Free July, some tips from my very first podcast guests, Richard Lancaster, an activist from Greenpeace, and Natalie Fee, an author and founder of anti-plastic charity City to Sea. In terms of um, us then trying to reduce plastic, if that's the main aim for us as individuals, what are your what what would be the first steps for someone that uses plastic all the time? They go and get takeaway coffees. They use straws. What what are some of the things you can you can do straight away that are easy? Um, well, the first one we've talked about. I mean, water really is outrageous. We spend more as a, a nation now on water in bottles than we do on soft drinks in bottles, and yet, in fact. The water that comes out of your tap is probably of higher quality than a lot of the water that's in water bottles. I mean, in fact, a number of the water bottles, that the, the quality has been shown to be quite poor. So that really is a complete and utter waste of time. Just take your own water bottle, fill it up at home. City to Sea has, has started a number of these um, refill schemes around the country, and there's a brilliant one in Bristol. So you can go to lots of places and just refill if you're out and about. Take your own reusable coffee cup. I've got one that's a collapsible one, so you just literally put it in your pocket or your bag. A lot of the coffee shops are now offering a discount if you take your own cup, so you even save money by doing it. So avoid taking the bags at the supermarkets for your fruit and veg. So there's a lot of basic stuff. Wet wipes are a big, big issue. I mean, when I was a parent as opposed to a grandparent and we were growing up wet welts were just coming in they weren't that convenient because because they they weren't packaged the way they are now and they were something that you use very very occasionally of course we didn't realize the dangers of them then but we use them very occasionally when you were out and about with a baby and you didn't have easy access to water but now people use them at home when there's the bathroom or the kitchen are only just around the corner in the next room and yet they're using wet wipes to wipe things down when you could just use a cloth and the tap. So wet wipes are one that we really need to do something about. And we were talking earlier about the toilet. People think, they, they know that if they put stuff in recycling or in the rubbish bin, it's going to go to a landfill or it's going to be recycled. But they somehow think that the toilet, anything you put down the toilet, magically disappears. And it doesn't magically disappear. It ends up in the sewage system. 
and in our Victorian sewers that were not designed mm -hmm. to process plastic. Well, I've seen Natalie's talk, TED Talk, on this, um, basically saying it's a toilet, not a bin. The three Ps, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. I think, as uh, actually as a woman as well, having periods, it's something that you don't even think about. Uh, the amount of plastic that you use every month is quite considerable, actually. And quite expensive. Mm. Yeah, one of our campaigns is called Plastic Free Periods. And um, if you, you know, our listeners look that up online, you can find a video called Plastic Free Periods, which has had around 4 million views now, I think. Um, switching to reusable menstrual products is a super empowering and inexpensive um, way to, to massively reduce your um, sort of plastic footprint if you have periods. So I think that's an exciting thing that people can do. And I'd say as well, like um, like we, all the things that Richard said, you know, you download the refill app and, and make sure that you know where you can refill when you're out and about. Um, and obviously being an advocate of, of our campaign work, you can download um, resources from our City to Sea website on how to live with less plastic, sign up to our mailing list, um, and, and there's loads of really cool Facebook groups that have popped up everywhere around how to sort of live with less plastic. So join the community and get together with people and it is quite fun once you get into it. And you can have really nice stuff now. You can have nice containers that you yeah. keep and it looks really pretty. You can carry like li these little mini bamboo forks and spoons in your, in your purse so that, you know, if you, if you get caught at Starbucks on your way, you know, maybe dropping your kid off at a service station, um, then you've got your own cutlery with you. Um, you know, like ice creams in the summer, they give it to you and they've got little plastic things and you can, you can say no because you've got this beautiful little bamboo spork in your, in your purse. <laughs> It's all about being organised, really, isn't it? Changing your habits. I think from yes. the beginning, obviously, I kind of started this, starting a blog on Instagram, and I've always kind of thought that I was a little bit green and realised I'm actually not at all. So the first thing I did was to get a water bottle, and then I started um, from cleaning the house. I had to move house, so I made my own cleaning products out of kind of vinegar and, and lemon and little things. And I feel like each step you take, it does definitely get easier and becomes kind of more of a habit for you. So hopefully, once you start, it'll be easier to carry on. But I think at the beginning, when you first think I'm going to cut out plastic, you don't realise that it's going to be quite, quite a bit of a job. Yeah, and you'll probably notice there's some things that you just are a step too far. Like, you know, having a teenage son, he's got high-carb needs, you know, and I don't <laughs> have time to cook him a week's worth of crisps and biscuits and bread and, you know, it's just the way it is. So I think at that point, you, you do what you can, you, you let yourself off the hook for the things you can't do, and then you make sure you pressurise the supermarkets and, and the government to support, you know, your desire to, to live with less plastic in a more, in an easier way. And if you haven't yet, check out Natalie Fee's brilliant book, How to Save the World for Free. And talking of writers, on to our next guest. Jamaican-raised Zakia McKenzie is an academic and nature writer who was one of the first writers-in-residence for Forestry England, as well as one of the first ambassadors for Green and Black, which is a project helping to create a more diverse playing field when tackling green issues in her now hometown of Bristol. So I asked her what people like me can do to make our own outlook more diverse and ensure that people of all backgrounds and cultures are included in the environmental conversation. First thing I would always say is read. Read Indigenous voices, read voices from the global south, read working class voices, poor people, read what they are saying on climate change, 
um, on sustainability, on the environment, and on the politics of environmental movement. I think it's important to read. And groups are popping up everywhere now. So, Harriet, I can definitely hook you up with other people who you might want to interview, but they're groups. And you can find, um, there's now a kind of, on Instagram, I think I follow now a, like, woman of color eco group. There are quite a few of these coming up now. Um, on Instagram, you can find, like, Black in Nature, uh, BAME in Nature, BAME Outdoors. You have quite a few of these accounts. And people now, it just takes a few clicks to find them and to read to read the journals, read the um, academic papers too, but also read the newspaper articles of people um, who are working in these sectors. So the first thing is, is probably to read. The second thing is to, if you are in an organization that does work, that is trying to work in these areas, it's you always need um, someone from the community, which can sometimes be hard because you might get the gatekeeper but actually the gatekeeper is, is better than someone who's outside of the gate, right? It's, it's, it's better than someone who isn't even on the compound. So I think it's, that's one important part too, is always try to get people from whichever community you want to impact to work on the project. It's usually, um, I usually say think co-production, think co-produce, think we're co-producing with the community. So I think those are the two main things, honestly, get people from communities into your organizations and conversations and then read the ideas of, of people, right? Because I think a lot of times, so like I said, Jazz and I get a lot of these requests mm. and half the time, the things that people are asking us and the things they want to find out, if they could read or if they knew who to read, it would make a difference. Um, and I usually send out some, you know, a group, a set of articles. I usually send my websites because I have a kind of a, a lot of resources about, specifically about the Green and Black Project. And I send other places and I say, start here because a lot of the questions you're asking me, they've been answered many times. So I think it's just a bit of effort sometimes. Mm. And to not be shy, because the thing is, a lot of us, we want to talk because we don't get the chance to talk. So we don't get the chance to put our voices on podcasts like this, or we, we don't get asked very often. Mm. So, you know, often if you ask and you, and, and you say and you're very truthful, like, look, yeah. I don't have these voices. I don't know the issues that affect you. I would love to learn more and to put these up. People would be quite often happy to do it. Mm, it's about not being afraid to ask, right? Yes, I think that's a big thing. People think, you know, don't approach. Uh, and, and I think uh, the social media presence sometimes does that because when you're on social media and we talk about these environmental issues, quite often they are the negative things. They're talking about the exploitation and stuff. So people might think we don't want to be approached, but actually I think, most people who I know in the kind of environmental and green movement who are from uh, black or Asian or, you know, who are mixed race or whatever, they want to speak. We, we look at all these platforms and we love them and we think, I wish I could say what I wanted to say on it. Mm. You know, we want to speak even just for the fact to have something in our portfolio, just to be, even to build our own portfolio as a nature or environmental uh, climate mm. campaigner. We want to have a platform even just to have something under our belt to when we apply somewhere or when we want to do something to say, look, I've spoken on this and this and that. So in, in a way, it's about oh, it's it's for um, the organizations and the podcasts and the TV shows and all of that to have their guests as well. But also think about it as opening a way for somebody to establish themselves in within the movement. 
Now, from dumpster diving to her job in composting, Amanda Chapman is a food waste expert. She introduced New Zealand to its first ever community fridge in 2016, saving tonnes of food from landfill and providing healthy meals for those who needed it or just those who wanted it. So she told me some of her tips for reducing food waste at home. So, yeah, reduce it at the source. So figure out what it is that you're wasting, why you're wasting it. Like, is it a specific ingredient or is it leftovers, for instance? Personally, I love leftovers. (laughs) Leftovers are great. And I usually have leftovers, like, in my freezer. And then I've got easy meals from the go. Yeah, learn how to utilize your freezer. Freezers are great for reducing food waste. And like I was saying before, I have like my food scraps in there to make uh, vegetable stock. And then I have little veggie stock cubes um, in the freezer. Uh, And I have all my uh, assorted leftovers in there as well. Yeah, so use your freezer, figure out like what it is. And if, if you're wasting a specific item, like, maybe you shouldn't be buying it like do you maybe just not like that <laughs> you're just trying to trying to convince yourself that yes actually I do like kale <laughs> good point <laughs> <laughs> um do you waste any food in your house in your home is, does anything go to waste yeah I'm not perfect <laughs> it totally does we have um we have a very shoddy fridge freezer and I'm currently defrosting it at the moment, um, <laughs> uh, such as flatting life. But, um, yeah, I did find some vegetables down the back that had uh, become frozen to my fridge. Oh. So they got composted. So there's another tip for you. If you can afford it, buy a decent fridge freezer. That will help a lot with your food waste. Mm, yeah, right. And. Um- In terms of, you know, if you've got something you don't want, but it's still edible, there are loads of initiatives all over the country, even if you're in another country. I know there's a lot in the UK, even apps and things that you can use, right? Yeah, we've got them here. So I mentioned before Pataka Kai, so the food pantries. So there's a directory of them. They they are also listed on that New Zealand fruit and food share map I mentioned earlier. But um, they're also on their website, Pataka Kai's website. There's a list of where all the pantries are. And then there's apps. So off the top of my head, Olio, Mm. which I think is a UK. I think it is, yeah. I've kind of tried to use it before when I was back home and didn't find – I think I was using it around Christmas and it was just people giving away like Christmas chocolate and stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it's kind of uh, grown a little bit since then. Yeah, so it definitely, yeah, they need like more users. So uh, I know in Auckland I've used Olio quite a bit and I've also used it for a lot of non-food items as well. So you can use it for food items like perhaps you have, like you said, Christmas chocolates or you've got a box of tea that you have used one of and you're like, no, this tea um, is not for me. Or you've got something that's past the best before date. So you can list it on on Olio and people can see on their map and say, yep, I'll take that. Um, But yeah, also you can use it for non-food items as well. So I used it the other day and what did I give away? Oh, I gave away some car windscreen wipers because I no longer have a car. So I was (laughs) like, I don't need these anymore. And, um, you know, they're very specific car windscreen wipers for a specific size. And so someone was like, yep, I'll take that. So, yeah. 
Next up, Tim Barford, who's been vegan for over 30 years and is the founder of VegFest, the UK's biggest vegan festival. Tim mainly went vegan because he didn't want to eat animal products, but also appreciates the environmental benefits of a plant-based diet. What would be your kind of top tips for moving towards a, a vegan lifestyle? My top tip would be stop using animals. <laughs> that would be it. Easy. That, that, that would be it. Yeah, just have a look and stop. You know, it's like that, really. Just have a look at, have you got a right to use that animal? And if you think the answer's no, then just just stop. But if if that's not quite, you know, enough to go, well, you know, sorry, mate, I disagree <laughs> with you on that one. That's not quite my position. Then I would say, you know, look to start with a plant-based breakfast and get in the habit of a real nice plant-based breakfast. So, so have a look around, see what you like. If that's beans on toast with mushrooms, fine. If that's a, a muesli with a oat crunch and, and dairy-free coconut yogurt, you know, that's great. If that's a bowl of uh, almond ice cream, that's also good. You know, if that's a hemp smoothie with blueberries, that's fine. Whatever it is, get into it, experiment, but stay with a plant-based breakfast. And then move on to a plant-based lunch, start working your plant-based lunch in, so perhaps your falafel wraps or your hummus sandwiches, your avocados, your salads. And then you're looking for a, a plant-based dinner. So lots of options there, obviously. Get your cookbooks out, get online, get your, get your recipes out, have a play around um, and, and stick with it. You know, stick with the programme. And, you know, if you find yourself slipping back or using occasionally perhaps going and having whatever your favourite animal product was, be it the uh, stereotypical bacon butty or pork pie or something or fish and chips or a doner kebab after five pints on a Friday, whatever it is. <laughs> Try and make sure that if you are going to do that occasionally, that, that the rest of your diet is plant-based. And I think in time you'll find that pretty much you'll do away with some of those options anyway. But if you want to keep your favourite, there's plenty of vegan kebab options. I've even now seen vegan chicken drumsticks at VegFest. You can now buy a vegan chicken drumstick. It was uh, like uh, chicken. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you so had weird. one. Yeah, it? Exception. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had chicken for a few yeah. years, so maybe that's... And, and some of these veggie burgers, I mean, not, I won't mention the brand, but there's one in my local supermarket that keeps selling out, and it's superb. Brand. Huh? Well, you can mention the brand. Oh, Linda McCartney's oh, yes. veggie burger is superb. I didn't know about it. I don't really eat those meat substitutes because after 34 years of eating plant-based, I'm not that interested in what the taste of flesh might be like but i got to say those veggie bugs they don't sit around in that freezer very long I swear <laughs> they're in and out quickly I, I'm a big fan of those so um, the alternatives are a good way to move oh over, yeah definitely. sure sure and, and I'd also say have fun with it you know I mean have fun with it you can have lots and lots of fun with vegan being vegan is a real liberation it's not just a liberation for animals but it's a liberation for people too you know uh, i would be honest after 34 years of plant-based my health my goodness you know i'm so lucky and i really i don't feel like i'm looking like you know one in two of us are going to get cancer that's not i'm not going to be one of those two you know i don't feel that way and i feel like if i do get cancer like i will be having a lifestyle that will be able to really help live with cancer and overcome cancer and not succumb to cancer because the power of plant-based is there. The science is coming through. And of course, Bristol's known us for years. We've had the Bristol diet, what is now the Penny Crone Centre. We used to be the Bristol Cancer Help Centre. 
um, has been advocating, you know, plant-based juices, diets, salads, etc., raw food, vegan for 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 generations now, like more than more than more than the generation. Okay, so our next tips come from Caroline Murray, who's been living self-sufficiently for over twenty years. The author of the book Mastering the Art of Self-Sufficiency in New Zealand, she currently lives on her blueberry farm in Whitman's Valley, where she grows her own produce, makes her own household products and lives pretty much off-grid. Caroline believes everyone can implement elements of self-sufficient living into their lives, regardless of whether you live on a blueberry farm or a city centre apartment. I very firmly believe if people simplify their lives, which is their wants and needs, you know, if you simplify your wants and needs and there's a bit of ego issues going on in there and keeping up with the Joneses and everything, if you can move away from that and disassociate yourself from that, your um, outgoings will be less, therefore perhaps you won't have to work as much to you know, um, try and sustain that lifestyle and you can start to actually enjoy life a bit more. So on that note, if somebody is living in the city in a shared apartment, maybe mm-hmm. there's three or four of them, and they mm-hmm. want to implement some aspect of self-sufficiency into their life. We mentioned yeah. it a little bit, but what, what do you think the first steps would be towards doing that? I guess it, it, it depends um, on if the property is owned or rented, because that makes a difference. So I've always said that solar hot water is one of the easiest um, things to start with. Sure, you don't get any water in winter, but, you know, that's that's life. You get it all in summer. So, yeah, solar hot water, making your food. So don't buy any pre-packaged food. Go to a farmer's market or a local market, buy real vegetables. Spend time as a group making dinner together. You know what I mean? So so you can sit down over the kitchen table while someone's peeling spuds and the other person's chopping carrots and the other person's putting a pot on. You know what I mean? Make it, make it a social event and know... The, you get a real good um, buzz out of eating good food that is made with friendship. I won't say love because I don't love food, but it's made with friendship, you know, of people sitting around chatting, maybe having a glass of wine or homebrew that they've made themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, while you're doing that and just do things more together. Put the phones down, put the screens down, talk to people. And is, are there any, do you know of any kind of plants or vegetables or, or um, herbs that you can grow in your own apartment or your own house really easily? Yeah, there's, um, if, if you go online and look up vertical growing, if anyone's got a tiny little veranda space, there's heaps of things you can grow vertically, you know, growing straight up out of pots. So there's, there's the obvious things, there's basil and parsley and chives and thyme and yeah, m- most of your herbs you can. I always kill basil. I get, sometimes it'll stay for like a week and I think I've got it and then it dies. Yep, you need a bigger pot. Oh. Yeah, a bigger pot with good good quality compost or potting mix in there. Yeah, because those little ones you buy from the supermarket are in the tiny little plastic mm. pots. Um, they have only got enough nutrition in them to sustain them for that short space of time. Oh. So you then have to go buy another one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> false economy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so just, just have a bigger pot. And sure, you can still buy the one from the supermarket, but when you get it home, put it in a slightly bigger pot with fresh potting mix. Mm, it'll last heaps longer. 
Now, Cassia Percival Day was so shocked by videos she watched about the state of the natural world, mainly due to single-use plastic, that she decided to go zero waste at the age of 14. And she took her mum and her dad with her. So now, age 16, she's become a bit of an activist, influencing her school friends and those further afield to waste less. So I went to Cassia's house, had a little bit of a snoop around the bins and got some great, simple but effective advice. So what are your kind of top tips for um, somebody who is starting to go zero waste? What are the five things, for example, that, that you should okay. that you should start with straight away that are easy? Okay. Um, bags, bring your own supermarket bag and produce bag. Bring your own container when you go out to eat. That's something that's you've got to be thinking ahead of things like this, like after a school event we went out for lunch and I brought my own container but none of my other friends had thought about that so it's definitely a lot of preparation and also cutlery I got a spork for Christmas from my cousin Um, so have you always got kind of a Tupperware and your cutlery in your bag yes if I go into town I normally there's definitely occasions where I'm like I won't need this so I don't pack it but most of the time um a bar soap I'd say yes that's an really simple one and also bread that's a pretty simple one if you have a bakery near you because yeah bread is one of the worst things it's in plastic so often but I don't actually I managed to find it in in paper quite a lot but actually you can just take your own bag to the bakery yeah 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 and do you think little changes do make a difference because there's a lot of people who'll say going zero waste is that really gonna you know save the world well, if everyone did a little swap and there's 7 billion people in the world, then I'd say that would reduce quite a lot. But there's a lot of things that are little swaps, which I think people could do. Yeah. Now, Damon Rand is a co-founder of Clean Energy Prospector, an energy services company helping to build the smart grid. And we talked about ways to save energy at home, and you can listen to that in the full episode. But Damon believes that community energy groups are one of the best ways to have a bigger impact and take renewable energy to the next level. One of the big movements that's happening today, and it's really gathering momentum now, is people are coming together in their local towns and cities and neighbourhoods to look at what they can do beyond their home, but within their local environment. So Bristol's a fantastic example of this, um, because we've got some great companies, less companies, um, cooperatives that operate in and around Bristol, uh, or in, in the southwest in general. For example, Bristol Energy Cooperative owns two large solar farms just outside of Bristol. And what they do is they raise money from private investors like you and me, um, who might put £100 in, £500 in, rather than putting that money into equipment on their own house. They've invested it into community energy cooperatives, and um, those cooperatives summed all that money together, and and Bristol Co-op has raised £10 million. Wow to invest into solar farms that's at the the high end but there are many many groups like that in in neighborhoods or around towns all over the country really where people are getting together and looking at what they can do can they put solar on a local school that's a very good example in the new build space we've got people building um, co-housing affordable housing in their own area and and asking whether that new housing can be very sustainable um, run mostly on 
on solar and battery storage as well, which is coming along. Um, community energy is about finding different people with different skill sets and expertise, whether it's raising money or engineering or engaging with others, getting them together in a group. And we can now buy technology and deploy it in our local area that means that that area doesn't need to draw power from distant fossil fuel power stations anymore. Okay, so we've got some tips on sustainable makeup coming. Also, we're going to hear about co-housing and ethical fashion. But next, we're going a little bit deeper. I spoke to two psychologists, Jackie Feather and Nikki Haray, who specialise in eco-anxiety, recently touring around New Zealand, training other psychologists on how to deal with the ever-increasing cases of it. I found this chat so helpful for getting some perspective and dropping the guilt that a lot of us, including me, often feel when it comes to our personal choices. First, I asked Jackie what she would say to someone who approached her with feelings of eco-anxiety. I mean, if we just take that acceptance and commitment therapy model, then I think the first thing I'd say is, well, tell me how you're feeling and just listen. You know, if if you had a friend who who was suffering from from this kind of anxiety, just ask them how they're feeling and listen and and help them to accept that and recognise that there's a lot of people feeling like this. Mm. I was going to say, because there must be other people, people, sorry, who, who... recognize their friends are feeling this way and and what can they do so exactly and I think talking to each other is a huge part of it Um, and recognizing that we are all in this together we don't have to save the world alone you know in fact we don't even have to save the world as a small local community we can just do our bit in, in in our corner of the world and so that sort of leads into the next um step which is be present so just making sure the person has strategies for, for for coming into the present moment because as we talked about earlier anxiety is very much future focused and we kind of lose sight of the present and you know 99% of the time we're actually not under threat you know at the moment in lockdown when we're in our own homes we're not under threat um, you know when we go to the supermarket we have to take good precautions and, you know, follow the hygiene practices and social distancing and so on. But actually we're, we're not directly under threat most of the time. So becoming present is, is, can help us to, to see that. And then I think the third step is um, taking action based on our values. So, for example, if, if your value is, if you have a value around connection, then perhaps you could shut your laptop, go for a walk, share veggies with a neighbour, start a community weeding and tree planting group, you know, the sort of things we've been talking about. Um, So referring back to yourself first and your local community, your own values, and checking that these are aligned, you know, that what we're doing is aligned with the world that we want to live in. Great advice. Thank you. Um, I actually had another question from... um, a listener, which might be the right time to bring it in. Um, Michaela said, uh, in order to manage the stress of trying to be perfect, what green actions would be most effective to prioritise? I mean, I guess that's down to the individual as to what you, you consider most important. But do either of you feel like you could answer that? I mean, I, I often think when people ask me a question like that, I often 
ask them to imagine that they're part of this huge puzzle, like they're one tiny piece in this enormous puzzle. So the first thing they have to recognise is that everyone has got a unique spot and a unique part to play in this huge game that will work because we'll all do our bit. So I would say, can you ride your bike? Okay, you can't. You live too far out of town. You're dropping children off to daycare. Drive your car. Can you perhaps reduce your meat intake? Can you reduce the amount of plastic you're using? Are you the kind of person that likes politics and could potentially join a political party. So it does become looking at your context and who you are and what is feasible for you. And, and this is all connected to what Jackie's talking about, about being in the present. And so instead of, I mean, isn't it an arrogant thing? I'm not at all saying, Michaela, that you're thinking this, but I often think we have a kind of arrogance as Westerners that, that we can solve climate change, we can solve this. Uh-uh. We, the big collective, but we, like me, no. So so keep your sights small. Be, be humble. Have humility in what's possible for you to do. And then do that. Sometimes by feeling that we should be able to save the world, we end up doing nothing because every action seems redundant. But you know, if you imagine if everyone who could ride a bike did so, Auckland's transport would be transformed overnight. Um, if people started to reduce meat intake, again, massive decreases in methane emissions and so on. So it's it's that thinking, really thinking locally and, and having a bit of humility about it, I think, allows you to find what actions you could take. And, you know, I think it's really interesting with the lockdown and I've heard this a lot among among friends and colleagues and so on, that they've really appreciated the time to slow down. And I think this also applies to eco-anxiety. Well, again, coming back to the lockdown, um, a lot of people are realising that there's joy in the simple things, cooking, gardening, reading, slowing down, and in these activities that each of us are engaged in is actually having a massive positive impact on the environment already. You know, yeah. the fact we're doing less and um, more focused on our local environment, you know, around the home and and so on, or you know, swapping food with your neighbours at the um, at the gate, that kind of thing. For ages, I've wanted to try out natural and sustainable makeup brands, but it all seemed quite intimidating. And like many environmental topics, there's so much information out there, it can just be difficult to make those choices. So I was really impressed by Aleph Beauty, an all-natural cosmetic brand produced here in New Zealand. Founder Emma Peters talked me through her journey, spending 20 years as a makeup artist, but then finally wanted to start her own company so she could use more ethical products. When talking about her top tips for a natural beauty regime, though, it wasn't just about what makeup you use. The one, the overarching one that trumps everything, I think, is um, nutrition good nutrition, looking after what goes into your body, even before you look at what goes onto your body, because everything happens from the inside out. If you're having a skin skin condition, breakout, um, skin problems, most likely it is to do with something that is going on inside you and most likely in the gut. Um, so sorting out your internal system is key. And then starting to look after your skin, because no, if if you've got something going on in the inside and un- imbalance, then no matter what you put on your skin, it's not going to fix it. 
So inside out first, lots of hydration, lots of whole food, anti-inflammatory foods or foods that aren't going to cause inflammation, I should say. So sugar, alcohol, those cause a lot of inflammation, which then reflects out in the skin. Um, then once that's sorted, then looking after your skin in terms of um, exfoliating two to three times a week, using a good moisturizer to get the um, hydration and nourishment back in your skin. And then you've got a really great canvas to then apply your makeup. Next, we hear from Hannah Schickendans, who, along with her family, is part of a new co-housing project for Wellington in New Zealand called Urban Habitat Collective. This type of housing where residents have their own units, but there are additional shared communal spaces, offers a more sustainable way of living that also provides a sense of community. So I was really intrigued to find out how it all worked. What do you need to consider then? There's some things that you need to really think about before you make the decision that you want to go into a co-housing project because it's a big decision. I think a lot of people expect that it's going to be cheaper than regular housing and we certainly did when we started. It's not. (laughs) It doesn't cost more but you're making different decisions than what a developer would make. So in keeping half of our land free that's making a decision to put less apartments on the site and therefore share the cost over less people. We're also base isolating. We're also insulating to a really high standard and our acoustic performance is going to be really high. So intertenancy sound is not going to be a problem. And those are all decisions that a developer wouldn't typically make. Yeah, and that's also what the the co-housing people from the States say, I'm sorry, it won't be cheaper than standard housing, but it will be better and you'll get more stuff for your money. Um, So that would be one thing. But also don't let that stop you because if we'd known that to begin with, we possibly wouldn't be part of the project. But I'm so glad that we still are. Honestly, I'm not very much of a forward planner. So I don't think that you need really to do anything before you start, apart from have a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, and get something going because you can always refine your ideas or change your ideas as you go along but Mm. if you don't start something you'll just be sitting on the couch going "Mm, wouldn't it be nice if we'd tried to do that thing yeah if somebody um is listening now and they're thinking oh my god I'd love to be part of a project like this but I have no idea where to start how would you go about it I mean do you need to have a certain skill to be able to be part of a, a project like yours To be part of it, I would say no, you don't have to. You can get in touch with us and you can join our project. We have three spaces still available and we would really love to fill them. If you want to start a project, anyone can start a project. It's just about how long it's going to take. And if you have people with specific skills, that's going to be useful. In saying that, we almost have had to put a a quota on architects, a cap on our architect quota in our group because so many architects are interested so you're not going to be at a loss to find um, skilled people to be part of your project no and saying that they're all fantastic and wonderful and I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't exclude any of them and they're all really helpful but it is it has been funny to see how many architects have gotten on touch with us about it and lastly something that affects most of us is fashion because we all wear clothes 
Eco-fashion blogger Kate Hall is known to many online as Ethically Kate and she doesn't just talk about ethical living, she does really live it, ensuring you know she only promotes and partners with brands she's researched and truly believes are as sustainable as they can be. So she was someone who I thought was perfect to speak on this topic. And as someone who no longer wants to support the exploitative and unsustainable fast fashion industry, I asked Kate for her top tips to learn to embrace slow fashion. I would say the first thing is to spend time in your current wardrobe. I think shopping your own wardrobe and seeing what you can come up and get creative is the first step because chances are there may not be anything that you you know need to go out and get you may feel that fulfillment of creating a new outfit with a few different pieces you haven't worn together um, before can be very rewarding better on your pocket and quite fun so I think assessing what you already have um, understanding where you're at when you go through your wardrobe maybe there are things that you're you're lacking and so you know, write a list of those things and then start to do your research one item at a time. Like you said, when talking about the shirts and uniforms, be okay, you know, to compromise because that is just something we have to do in the current state of things. The fashion industry isn't, you know, fully there yet. So wearing what you already have, using that um, and, you know, respecting the clothes you have is, is great. I yeah, want to mention the good on you app again, which is something I don't personally use because I... You know it all already. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> no, that's not the case. Certainly not the case. <laughs> Learning everything, new things every day. But it is, it's kind of, I think it's great for, yeah, for newbies because like good on you doesn't necessarily have all the awesome small ethical fashion brands. They rate the big guys, which is really helpful if you're just, you know, shopping at your local mall. So I think start with that because it is really, really simple rating system. Yeah, super, super simple to use. So yeah, start there and just start asking questions. I think it's one thing you may, when you when you hear about this topic, you can be like, oh, I'm going to go out and, and you know, buy a cool fashion. But like, I think, you know, look at what you have, assess do you really need it. Um, and then ask brands questions and like go through your wardrobe. When you're going through your wardrobe, like look at the tags like understand what your clothes are made from understand like you know the different countries they're made in just become more aware i think that awakening is key and then it just snowballs from there huge thank you to all my brilliant guests from series one of wannabe greener i hope this little bonus episode has been useful for you i know that with this topic there's always so much information out there so to be able to kind of combine it into one short episode hopefully is handy for you we'll be back very soon with more brilliant guests and of course some great tips and advice from them on some different topics in the meantime you can follow wannabe greener on instagram and facebook the links are all up on the episode page but it's pretty easy to find and feel free to get in touch if there's an element of sustainable living um, that you want to know more about or, or even just to say hi And just lastly, if you've listened to this and found it useful or to any of the other episodes in uh, series one, please do leave a review on iTunes because it does help the podcast and helps kind of other people to make the choice to listen. Of course, if you didn't like it, just don't leave a review. Don't leave a bad review. Well, you can if you want, but maybe don't. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.